Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, guide us ever deeper into your word, into your will, and into your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when a new year begins, there's often some new starts, fresh starts. You know, people change their diet. They start to exercise more. I'm not going to show, you know, do a raise of hands for any of that. But, you know, people do things like that, right? And for a new year, it's good to renew one in your faith as well. And we've done that the past couple of years. Actually, two years ago, we did some of the basics. What does it mean to be a Christian? And then last year, we were in 1 Peter and talked about living stones and having that living faith. Well, we are going to be starting today a new series called The Ministry of Jesus. We're going to be spending time in Matthew. We're not going to do all of Matthew, but we're going to take a look at some of the larger themes of what Jesus has done in his ministry. So we walk with him, we learn from him, we grow in his ministry and thus our ministry as well. Now, when I was looking at a title for this, I have to admit it's not a grab you sort of title, is it? The ministry of Jesus. Okay. I mean, it's descriptive, right? But it, it just doesn't grab you. It doesn't, as people would say, it doesn't have that sizzle. Well, we don't do sizzle here. We do foundational work about growing alive, deep and bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus. And part of the reason why this doesn't grab people is simply because of this word, ministry. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if I were to ask you, what does ministry mean? What are some thoughts, some feelings? I mean, start to play around with that. Mostly, I'm going to guess, mostly when you hear ministry, It's about other people, right? It's about the pastor, or maybe the musicians, or feeding the homeless, or or something. But it's like, well, other people do ministry, and that's, it's such a churchy word, right? Other people do ministry. But what does actually ministry mean? Well, if you take a look, ministry, in the very basic sense, means to be of service to others. That's the foundational meaning of ministry, to be of service to others. So when we talk about the ministry of Jesus, we talk about his teaching, his preaching, his healing, his going to the cross. All of that is his ministry in the service of us, all to the glory of God. See, when you think about ministry, a true ministry, it's of God and for God. It is initiated by God to the glory of God. It's not that somebody says, hey, I'm going to start a ministry. No, it's a calling from God himself, consecrated by God, all to his glory. So, you know, when when people say, well, you must be proud of all the work and the, and the things that you're doing. It's like, pride just doesn't enter into my head that way. It's, just, it's not in my head or heart. Because you know what? It's not my ministry. It's what God 
called me to do. And as God has called me to do things, and when God makes things grow, I am pleased. But it's not my ministry. It's for the glory of God. That's at the heart of everything. And Jesus is the full example of the ministry that you and I are to to do together. Because he expected that we continue on in ministry. All of us. If you take a look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, And he gave apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we all, or or in Texas, they'd say, all y'all, all y'all are called to ministry, to be of service unto others for the glory of God. And the example we have in that is Christ Jesus. He is the source of everything. So we are going to start this series in ministry and the ministry of Jesus to learn from him. And we're going to first start with what God had ordained, which was his baptism. So let us begin here. We're going to start with verse 13 from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So when it says that John would have prevented him, I mean, that's a pretty strong statement, right? It's almost that he would stand in front of Jesus to stop him. Why would John have such a strong reaction to Jesus wanting to be baptized? Well, the answer to that is you have to go back to the beginning of chapter 3. In the beginning of chapter 3, it says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophets Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. If you were going to sum up John's preaching with one word, what would it be? Repent, right? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when you think of John the Baptist, I bet the words that first come to mind are not gentle, meek, or mild. Right? He was rough. He was, as we would say, in your face about his preaching. He was bold and forthright. He was like Elijah, the prophet of old, who really says, thus says the Lord. And he preached about the wrath of God. You know, when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him, they came to me to be baptized. He didn't say, good for you. I'm glad you're here. What did he do? He laid into them. I'm going to read to you again what he said. He said, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals... I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Really, if you want a a non-politically correct speech, read again what I just read to you regarding John the Baptist and what he said. And remember, he was talking to the powerful people. He was talking to the rich people. But he did not hold back at all. Repent or perish. Repent or be burned with an unquenchable fire. He's talking about damnation, isn't he? So this word repent, though, what does, I mean, we talk about it, But what does it actually mean to repent? To repent means to to turn. It would mean to turn away from all that which is evil. You know, he talked about making straight the path for all of those who are on the crooked path. Turn the opposite direction. Make straight that path. And turn back to that which is good. Return to the Lord. This is what he was preaching. For all of those who think you can get to heaven by your good works, who think you are so good by yourself, so righteous by yourselves, you are the brood of vipers. Repent, turn back unto the Lord. Confess your sins. Now, that type of preaching nowadays would be like, oh, that's pretty harsh. But what did it say? It said all of Judea, the whole region was coming out to him. And the sinners of sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they were all coming to him, confessing their sins and repenting. So this is the ministry of John the Baptist. And now Jesus comes up to him. And he says, I need to be baptized by you. It says this, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So what did John realize? I mean, John, which Jesus called Elijah, right? If you would have it so. Who was ordained before he was born whose ministry was of God, ordained by God, as great as he was, when he came into the presence of Jesus, there was humility. That he knew that as mud-caked and as dirty as Jesus' sandals were, that John, he himself, was as mud-caked and dirty in his humanity and that he needed to be forgiven, that John, he, him, his sins needed to be forgiven. He was in the one of Jesus, the one who is holy, the one who is pure, the one who is 
righteous. So he didn't know what to do because he was baptizing people for repentance of sin. But Jesus had not sinned. There was no sin in him. So why would Jesus need to be baptized? And that's a question that kind of makes our mind go in circles, doesn't it? Why would Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, there's been a lot of theories about this. Some people would say that he came to conf- that Jesus came to confess the sins of the nation, just as uh, Moses, Ezra, Daniel had done on other occasions. Others say it was to purify the waters of the Jordan. Others to say it was to fulfill the law. But what did Jesus actually say? It was a baptism to fulfill all righteousness. Verse 15, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John the Baptist, consented. So let me kind of just paraphrase this a little bit, and then we'll get to that phrase, to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus is coming up to John, and he's saying, John, what I have to say to you is is very important. I know that you have a need to be cleansed, to be forgiven of your sins. For me to do that, and I will do that, I first need to be baptized. It's proper and right for us to do it in this order. We need to fulfill all righteousness. So you understand the greater sense of what he's talking about here. Hopefully you understand the greater sense. But it's that phrase, to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? Righteousness is an attribute of God. It means that he is pure, morally upright, straight, without deviation. Everything that is good, right, honorable, and true comes from God, for he is is the source of all righteousness. But how is Jesus fulfilling all righteousness? Now, some people say, well, in Leviticus, God instructed Moses and Aaron to bring their sons forward and wash them with water. And then later on, it says during the ceremony, Moses poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Well, so they're saying, well, Jesus as a high priest needed to be consecrated in that regard. And that's very plausible that the anointing from the Old Testament to the New Testament is carried through. But we actually don't find that as a command anywhere that Jesus is fulfilling that particular law, that command there. So how do we understand to fulfill all righteousness? Well, we start to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Quite frankly, a whole message could be given just on this topic alone, but I'm just going to give you two particular verses to consider here. Righteousness. From Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is giving a parable. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not, but afterwards changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he said, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two sons did the will of the father? 
they said, the first. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds to turn, change your minds and believe him. So, doing the will of the Father and righteousness seem to be combined here, don't they? Well, if you go to John chapter 6, Jesus said this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son believes in him and should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So if righteousness is of God, from God, following his word, his will, is following his righteousness, isn't it? Think about this. To fulfill all righteousness is to do the will of the Father. It speaks to the obedience to God's word and will. And by the way, I called out God's word and will. If you just say God's word, that is his will. So Jesus was fulfilling the Father's will in this regard for his baptism. His baptism was one of righteousness. Why? It's the Father's will. And we need not go further than that. You see, when you were baptized into Christ, the Father's will, right, was given. And in Jesus Christ, we are to actually follow his word, his will. We are to be obedient to his righteousness. And obedience, by the way, is a word that does not get taught or preached much in church nowadays. How do you mean I got to be obedient? I can't just like come to church? No, it's to follow him. To follow his word, his will. His righteousness. So his baptism was to fulfill all righteousness. And in that baptism, he was anointed and consecrated by God. And went, verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now our picture, right, is of Jesus having been immersed, coming up out of the water, right? And he's got his arms, you've seen these pictures, right? He's got his arms spread, the dove is resting on him. That's the picture we have. It's a picture we have. It's not necessarily what the text says. When it says he came up from the water, It does not speak about his immersion or even pouring water over him. 
I mean, it could be that he was immersed. It could be that simply water was poured over him. But all four gospel readings do not define the method of his baptism. Believe it or not, when you take a look at all four gospel gospels, the sense that you get is he came up from out of the water to the river bank onto the land. That's actually the sense. Now, this isn't to say that he wasn't immersed or that he had water poured on him. That's not the point of his baptism. And a lot of people want to focus on that and make that the point of the baptism, but that is not it. That is not it. The purpose of the baptism was to anoint Jesus with the Spirit to consecrate and confirm him by the Father for the beginning of his ministry. That's the purpose of this baptism. And when we see his baptism, when you read that, you find that it was initiated by God, from God. The fullness of God was there at the baptism, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all in unison together for that one point. The work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to anoint, to strengthen, to give wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So when you take a look throughout Scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit, where men and women were consecrated, anointed by the Holy Spirit, they were given that wisdom, strength, knowledge, understanding to do what? To do the ministry. For who? For other people. To the glory of God. You can find this. Uh, you can find this with certainly with Moses, right? Around the burning bush. You can find this with Joshua, with various judges such as Gideon and Deborah. Read the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so forth. The work of the Holy Spirit strengthens one for ministry ahead. That's why we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to work on and in and through us here at Joy Church. We want the Spirit to be here because by ourselves, trying to do ministry apart from the Lord, apart from the work of the Spirit, is just on our own. And on our own, it's not to the glory of God, and we'll fail. Hence the reading from earlier for the dedication, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now some people say, hold on, hold on, time out. Jesus is God, right? Yes. Why would God need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit? Good question. We affirm that Jesus is fully God and fully man. As fully God, he didn't need to be strengthened at all. As fully man, did Jesus need to sleep? He did. Did he need to eat? He did. Did he need to rest? He did. Think of the work that he had ahead of him in his ministry. Think of the patience Jesus needed to deal with all the disciples. Right? <laughs> come here, come here. You know, that, that's, that's my version of it. 
I, I, I wouldn't have that patience. If you want patience, become part of a church. Sit with other people, get to know them, start to love them. So Jesus need to be strengthened just with patience, with grace, with that mercy from the human aspect. But think of the ministry that he also did in having to go to the cross, being lifted up on the cross, crucified. He needed the strength of the Holy Spirit to begin that ministry. You see, the Holy Spirit anoints or seals Jesus, and God the Father confirms that anointing. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Three times, three times, the voice of the Father is recorded at the baptism of Jesus, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then at the Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, I want to point out something here. It says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In a literal sense, it would read this. This is my son, the beloved. It's almost like a title. And the beloved speaks to a love of greater depth and breadth than we understand. Think of the marvelous, the magnificent, the all-encompassing love of the Father for the Son. It's the same love that was read about in Isaiah, in our reading from Isaiah chapter 42. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. In strongest language, it says that God the Father delights in God the Son, delights in Jesus, and there is an abiding pleasure. And God did not say it for the sake of Jesus, for Jesus already knew this. He said it for the sake of each and every one of us. This is my son. Do you know who's before you? The beloved, the Savior. He comes from me. I delight in him. Listen to him. Learn from him. Follow him. This is my son, the beloved. It's what God the Father does. He confirms in the fullness of love who Jesus is. You see, the water is the sign. The Spirit is the seal. And the Father is the confirmation of Jesus' baptism. I hope you can see that this just wasn't Jesus getting wet. This was a work of God. Initiated by God for His ministry for us. All to the glory of God. Think about this. Jesus' baptism was a work of I triune God. Jesus was anointed, sealed, and consecrated for ministry unto God for your salvation, all to the glory of God. And in your baptism, God anointed, sealed, and consecrated you unto salvation through Jesus. Jesus. 
and you too are called into ministry for the sake of others, for the glory of God. Will you heed that call? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us, to lead us on. Fill us with that love. Fill us with the desire for being of service all unto your glory. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen.